give people my story and hopefully it'll inspire people to do some good stuff. And even if it only inspires people for 30 minutes, at least that's going to uh, help them in some way in their life. Welcome back listeners. This is your podcast for inspiring, informative content for all things outdoors and health related with interviews, reviews and experiences that will motivate you and inform you about all things outside. I'm your host, Kieran Clark. This is the Life of Movements. Right, the first thing I'm going to start off with is about you You growing up in Spain. Were you born in Spain? No, so I was actually born in London. Um, What's it, London Guy Hospital. And then we didn't move to Spain until I was nearly two. Moved, I think, just before that summer, August Guy. So we moved just before that summer to Spain. Okay, so you moved to Spain, you know, when you were really, really young, yeah. like two years old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, whereabouts in Spain were you raised? Where, but do you know Valencia, Alicante? I'm not sure if you're aware of those areas. They're both on the coast and about hour north of Alicante, 45 minutes to an hour south of Valencia. So I'm not going to say... I, I know what you mean. Um, my... Well, so my grandparents live in the Malaga area, so I know where you mean. Ah, okay, perfect. But what was it like um, being raised in Spain in comparison to the UK? Was it a bit different? Well, I didn't. Well, as growing up, I didn't really know the difference. Um, my parents bought a house up in the mountains, so until I was, I think, what was I, eleven or twelve, we just lived in the mountains, and my parents just used to drive me down to the local village school on the Monday to Fridays. So I was basically just used to just living in the mountains. I've got a younger brother who's two years younger than me. So the pair of us just used to play together up in the mountains, get sticks, tie butter knife to the end of them, go hunting wild boar. Luckily, we never found a wild boar. Otherwise, probably would have laughed in our faces with our butter knives <laughs> attached to the end of sticks. So we sort of just entertained ourselves in the mountains, really. We didn't really have that village feel until we were 11 12 i can't remember exactly when it was when we moved down to the local village and my parents actually we sold the mountain house and bought a house in the village because it was just easier then for us to be there with our friends play football after school and then i might then i really enjoyed that village life i missed the mountain side of it but then i enjoyed just always having my spanish friends around me there's always about six or seven of us as soon as school finished because it was a small village the population was about 600 people we would then just get together and go and play football all afternoon, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, cause mischief. Because we were surrounded by mountains there as well. So on Saturday, Sunday, we would just run off into the mountains, play hide and seek, tag. So, yeah, it was a very outdoorsy um, upbringing, I must say. It's a bit bit different to today's kids, you know, stuck inside during the COVID-19 quarantine. Uh, can't go outside. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and it's actually quite interesting because my nephew, so of there's five of us. I've got three, what have we got? Three brothers and one sister. I can't remember now. Uh, two elder brothers and one older sister. But my younger brother lived with us in Spain and my, the brother's just one above me. He lived with us also in Spain. Eventually when he had a kid, he was also brought up in Spain. Same village where I was actually brought up. And it was actually fascinating because he actually get to have got to have the same sort of childhood bringing up as I did. He missed out on the mountainside, but had that village feel. And it's quite funny now that he is now just joining the military as we speak. He's trying to join the uh, Royal Air Force Regiment. Seems to be a family theme then, join the military. Yeah, well, it, the problem with Spain where we live, it's, 
you have to go to university over in Spain to get even a basic job, even just in the supermarket. A lot of these people have gone to university just to do that. And it seems like the done thing in Spain. You just go to university. And I wasn't really that sort of way inclined and neither was my nephew. So if you're not going to university, it's tricky then to get a job. And if you love the outdoors and you've got the possibility of coming back and joining one of the British military branches, then it's sort of a, a no-brainer if you love doing all this activity stuff. It does seem to be a bit of a no-brainer with the British military and adventure outdoors and just the general love of fitness. Uh, it does seem to be a good thing and theme that goes together very well. Yeah, no, it does 100%. It really is. Yeah, so like you said, um, obviously you didn't want to go to university, so you decided to go and draw the Royal Marines, which obviously involved you up in your life in Spain and coming to the UK. How did you find that? Was it easy? You know, Was there a period of adjustment? What was it like? No, when I was, well, I was probably about 12, 13, we just moved to the village. I'd always wanted to join the army. That's all I really knew. I used to have the old army soldiers playing with my older brother. And then I found out about the powers, that that was one of the toughest things. So I thought, oh, I'll go and join the parachute regiment. And it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13, somebody told me about, oh, there's the Royal Marines, there's the commando training, one of the longest and toughest trainings in the world. And then I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to join the Marines. So I always knew, even before doing my equivalent to like GCSEs or anything, that I was going to head over to join the Marines. And as soon as I was 16, I was on that flight straight over, stayed with my sister who was living in London and went, did all the application interviews. And I did a the pull-up test and everything. But then the guy after the pull-up test sort of said, look, you can join when you're 16, but you're young. Go back to Spain, finish your equivalent to your AS levels that I was in the middle of, and then come back. So I went and did that while they were doing the medical application because my medical records were in Spain. It was just taking forever. I was playing football for a local team and actually broke my arm. So sort of delayed it anyway. So I didn't end up joining the Marines until I was 17 and a half. Um, and then that's when I just jumped on the flight, came back straight in to training and got on with it. So that's quite a young age, 17 and a half, to go and join the British Army, even if it is the Royal Marines. Um, how did you find basic training? Um, you got any sort of key moments that stand out for you? Yeah, well... The, the training was amazing. I mean, the whole thing, the whole experience for me was amazing. Obviously, coming from Spain to the UK was an experience on its own. And then you get put in your little groups of six people and just making those friends and those bonds that you made with those guys that were in your section in training. And one of the guys in my section there, he is my best friend now from the Marines, Mike Cleary. And the times we had were just absolutely amazing. Even on the weekends, a lot of the guys used to go home and I couldn't really go home. I was well, I, could, I guess I could have gone to London to my sisters, but I tended to stay down there. And a few of the other guys always stayed down for the weekends. We'd always go to Exeter or Torquay on a night out. And I never really experienced that too much in Spain, the nights out scenes. So getting involved with the British people, drinking pints of beer, again, not something you do over in Spain. It's the little canyas, which is like a tenth of the size of a pint. So getting into that culture, I absolutely loved it. But I do remember it was week two and the colonel of the training centre came in. He was an SBS guy and he came in and he, he said, right, who, who's under 18 here? And two of us stood up and he did say, you two are going to have it tricky to get through training because it's a very young age to be going through Royal Marines training. A lot of people under 18 do go through training and they get through fine. But he was basically just saying that we needed to be careful and that chances of failure are quite high when you're that young because you're still developing as a man. Um, but both of us got through and he wasn't in my section, this other youngster, but he became a close friend of mine, came over to Spain quite a few times. Um, sort of left the Marines when I left as well. 
But yeah, so the experiences of going through the training were absolute magical. And I guess because I was so young, I just loved running around, getting beasted around. I just took it all in my stride, whereas I felt a bit sorry for the, the older guys who were like close to their 30s. Most of the guys, early 20s, mid 20s, who they probably feel the stress a bit more. Whereas when you're 17, I don't know if you feel those sort of stress. You just get on with it. A bit, bit naive at 17. Uh, you're sort of not sure what you let yourself in for to it's actually hit you. Yeah, exactly. I did have a hard time when I came back from, because I started training in March and I was going to finish in December. And then when the summer came around, it was August time, you get given two weeks off. Everyone was given two weeks off. And I went to Spain and I took, there was nine nine guys, nine other Marine trainees that came over to Spain with me. And we had an absolute ball of a time. They were there for a week. And then I just had a week over there on my own with my parents. And when I came back, that first day back was really harsh. I did have to jump on the phone to my mom and dad and sort of say, this is hard I haven't felt anything like this before um, and they sort of explain what the feelings are and I sort of then just got used to it the, the shock of capture isn't that yes. what I call it when you have to go back <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so obviously once you've gone through your train obviously you get awarded your Green Beret or Berets depending on how people want to say it there's been yeah. some interesting conversation I have with people out there about how you pronounce it but <laughs> we'll go with it from that obviously yeah. that is the ultimate award to pass out and be given that um yeah how, how was it you know do you have your family over um you know, was they be there with you when it happened yeah to be honest when you start your training that is your your main goal with the, the marines i'm not sure if it's the same with the other militaries but it may well be your goal is that green beret the famous green beret one of the hardest berets to get from civilian life to military um beret is the green royal marines beret and that's all you look towards at the end of week 32 getting that green beret so that honestly when you get that it is such a relief and you get it at, they actually give it to you at the end of your 30 miler that you do one of the last commando tests that you do um then you really do feel part of everything of the royal marine family that they say there is and your, your family don't come down to the last day. That's when you do your marching and everything. So for that, I actually had my parents came over from Spain, my sister, brothers down from London, some cousins down from London. Um, yeah, so we did have a few people come down. That's quite an achievement to be awarded that. Um, so I do take my hat off to you to have to go through that, especially at such a young age, at 17, you know, and a half. That's extremely young um, for training. So I wouldn't really expect people now. You do take it in your stride when you're that age. I appreciate that it... A lot of people say it's tough and they take the hat off to it. The other day, it's a, it is a job. It's a job that I wanted to do and that sort of job isn't for everyone, but then there's jobs out there that I take my hats off to, which I wouldn't be any good at. So it's definitely in your blood then. Um, did you go overseas at all um, once you've done any of your training for any operations or anything like that at all? Yeah, so as soon as I finished my training, it was a lot of time because it was two weeks before Christmas and they all the careers office wanted... Marine straight out of training to come just sit in the careers office for a few weeks to chat to new recruits and motivate them. And I thought that'd be quite cool after all this hard training, actually. Now just going to spend some time, stay with my gran, who's in London, because my sister had moved to Scotland by the end of training. And so I went in the careers office there in London, in the centre of London. So I was there until, what was it, second week in Jan. And then I moved up to my unit in Scotland because um, you get to choose one of the three units when you finish training. So I wanted to go up to Scotland because it was more mountain-based. So yeah, I headed up to Scotland and went and joined the rest of my friends who chose to go up to Scotland, which wasn't many of them. But luckily enough, 
it was my best friend. He'd gone up there as well because he loved the sort of the mountain theme as opposed to more the water-based theme as the of the other units. I'd definitely, it's a, a raw marine who loves the mountain but doesn't like the water. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you still everyone has to do the same mountain training to get their ticks and all your water-based training. I love the water. I've brought up being scuba diving and everything. I just prefer the mountains. I was like absolutely itching to get into the mountains because at the end of the day, I was brought up on the mountains and that's where I thought my skills would uh, be best suited in the mountains. Yeah, so I grew up used to the environment so you know how to survive and operate in it. Um, talk about operations. Obviously, we've spoken, obviously you said you've been deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, how was that? Yeah, well, as soon as I was in the unit, I was in the unit for three years and during that time, uh, we went to Norway twice. So I did two stints of three months over in Norway, which was amazing because it got me into skiing and all that sort of cold weather training, which I absolutely loved. And then, yes, we had the tour of Afghanistan, which we, we, were, we were only meant to be there for six months. But when the handover came, they weren't trained. So they had to come back and do an extra six weeks training. So we ended up staying there just over seven months. But yeah, Afghanistan was hard. I'd sort of split Afghanistan down into two because we had sort of the initial phase when we were there where we were sort of on Camp Bastion and the other half of my unit were up north in Kabul and then sort of they came down and they went down south to south of the Helmand province where I was really getting gnarly and then we all sort of then fed in as people got killed or injured from the people that were down south and I sort of just fed in down there for the second section so the first period in Afghanistan wasn't so much fighting every single day it was more just going out and doing patrols visiting the villages hearts and minds exactly it's all that sort of thing and we were actually on a patrol where we had our corporal and section commander blown up they're both still alive today but they were chucked in the air and had to get sent straight back to the uk um but it wasn't until we went down south where you get dropped off by the helicopter and literally <laughs> every second night you're being attacked and you're being woken up and the mortars are firing so that was probably the biggest wake-up call, that second stint when you're down south with not that much support. Whereas when you're up on Camp Bastion, you're in a camp that's got like 6,000 people. So you can sleep very well on that camp. Camp Bastion is massive. It was huge. Yeah, well, just from when I left the three months, there was just the little naffy shop there where you could just go and buy your basic supplies. By the time I came back after three and a half months down south in Afghanistan, I think there was a subway. I can't remember if there was a pizza hut as well. There was gym. There was absolutely everything there just in that period of time. It's the Americans rolling in. You know, they love going to war in style. Yes, oh, they do. Yeah, on one of our patrols, we actually went over to Kandahar, which is a joint Canadian-American base there. They literally had everything from basketball courts, McDonald's, Burger Kings. It was absolutely insane going over to their bases. Oh, I can't get my head around that. You know, being deployed to the darkest depths of Afghanistan and being able to pop next door for a McDonald's. Yeah, no, it's insane. But yeah, that's the, the the world of warfare that we live in nowadays. These things have to come with us. <laughs> Can't go five minutes back your Big Mac. Yeah, exactly. Um, how did you find, um, obviously, your pre-deployment training? Do you think that was adequate to prepare you for what you're going in for? Or, you know, would you wish there was a bit more? Yeah, when we were there, when we were there, we didn't really know what to expect because we were going into something new. It was a new style of warfare. So you could only train what you thought was going to be waiting for you when you arrived into Afghanistan. So I'd probably, if I'm honest, I'd probably say 50% of it is you're bang on. But at the end of the day, what all this training is for is just to get you used to being in conditions where you're just, you're not used to sleeping in your bed, you're sleeping outside of your bed for a couple of weeks when you're doing all this training. So it's just getting you in that 
set of um, those set of rules that you're going to have to abide by when you actually get out to Afghanistan. And even though when you get there, it's not going to be the same enemy that you're facing that you face when you're in training, but it still just sets you up and gives you those basic skills that just that, that at the back of your head for when you need them. And to be honest, a couple of times things did come in handy that you get from that you did in the training, the pre-deployment training. Yeah, so there definitely a, few, a lot of lessons were learned from Afghanistan uh, going forward. There was a few harsh awakenings, I do, I do think. Yeah, when we were there, we had big issues with a lot of our tactics and everything, which then got passed on to future Marines and Paras and Army regiments that went out after we'd gone there. I'd say we were one of the first units out there to, to be in that sort of fighting. Um, that's why there's many books being written about it, um, just because of the sort of fighting it was. We had... Uh, the Mirror and the News of the World, not the most popular of newspapers, but they came over with us and, yeah, they just couldn't believe it. And now their write-ups were just about, well, this is a mixture of Second World War and Vietnam where you're fighting an enemy who lives underground where you can call in all your air support that you want. But once that air support's gone and then you're walking across that ground, these people are popping up from anywhere. So, yeah, it was, it was a very, really, really interesting type of warfare over there, one that hadn't sort of been seen before. As I say, it's definitely completely different, and I don't think we'll ever go into a conflict quite like it. Guaranteed, next time we all end up being deployed, it'd be something completely different again. Yeah, well, we were lucky because it, was, it only really lasted for a year and a half, that sort of fighting in Afghanistan, because then it sort of moved on to all the IEDs and the mines and all these suicide bombers. I was lucky when we were there that, yes, we had um, our section commander and two IC blown up by a kid walking into the middle of the road, but... That, that was the only instance I really heard while I was there for my seven and a bit months. Mostly it was hand-to-hand sort of fighting. Uh, you can see the enemy that you're fighting and he's shooting back at you. Whereas friends of mine that stayed on in the Marines and went back, they said it was just nothing like when we were there. It was more you're just driving around waiting to be blown up. So it was a very different warfare after Austin. It was more of a psychological warfare second time around because, you know, you don't know where the threats could be coming from. It could be coming from anywhere. Exactly. It's very tricky. Yeah. After Afghanistan, um, what was your next step after that? What would what you do? So at the end of Afghanistan, because a lot of us, there's 60 odd of us in our company and to be honest, over half of us put our notice in around that Afghanistan time. A lot of them did it while they were in Afghanistan and some of us did it when we got back. Just to say... It was great, great experience, but we weren't happy with the way that um, we were taken charge of by the officers there. So we sort of, a lot of us just put our notice in to leave. And the thing with the Marines, and I think it's the same with the actual army, when you put your notice in to leave, you've then still got to do a year. I was very fortunate. I played football for my Marines team and one of the bosses worked in logistics. So he sort of pulled me over. They needed someone. So he took me out of the fighting company and put me into the logistics where I was able to help him on stuff and I was able to do my adventure training, go and learn how to sail, go and do my ski instructor course, my cross-country ski instructor course and get all these qualifications, which really helped. So that was my my sort of last year in the Marines was sort of just doing courses and relaxing, going on a few exercises with the Marines because you're part of logistics, so you're still there. But I didn't have to then do all the slog up the mountains and everything for no end goal because I knew I wasn't going to be going back to Afghanistan because I was leaving, heading back to Spain, which... I wanted to do, I would always thought I'd either join SBS or try and join SBS or go back to Spain and get into setting up something fitness-based over there. I love my fitness. In the end, it just ended up being going back to Spain to get into the fitness industry. 
Yeah, do, do you think you being in the military, being in the Royal Marines, has like helped shape you and mould you as a person to who you are today? Yeah, 100%. When I was a kid, I was a pretty rough kid, I guess. <laughs> I was well-mannered, but a rough English kid living in Spain. Um, so coming, joining the Royal Marines, it really did sort of put me on the right track. And I learned just new manners and new ways to be around people and how to act around grown-ups. Because at the end of the day, if you're joining the Marines when you're 17, 18, 19 you are still a kid. So, but you're hanging around with people that are in their mid twenties all the way up to the mid forties. And you sort of have to grow up to be around those people and you learn how to talk to grownups. Um, so it, it really did shape me and it really did give me that mental strength that I needed that I was going to call on later on in life. Yes. It's formed a good solid base. As you said, the, were your best friends you also met during selection. It's a bit of a f- phrase that, people you meet in the army are your friends for life obviously you're a good example of that i'd think no 100 percent. yeah these guys that you meet they and you don't have to they're not like a civilian friend who you need to call every few weeks for that person to remain your super close friend i feel like with the marine guys i could go a year or two years without calling certain guys but you'll, you'll meet them up and they'll still be your closest friend ever and you can call them for anything you need and they'll be there at a drop of the hat to to come and help you Oh, 100%. Do you think if you hadn't joined, you would have achieved as much as you have now? Do you think it would have opened up the doors that it has? Not really, or maybe a bit along a different road because I'd always been sort of entrepreneurial, I think, when I was a kid, always trying to do stuff. I used to work in the markets with my mum and dad, collecting all the McDonald's toys, then selling them at a higher price. Because as I was being brought up, we used to come back to the UK quite a lot. And my mum and dad used to do the markets. We didn't have any money whatsoever. So every time they were doing the markets or boot sales, I was going and buying toys and then reselling them to make extra pocket money. So I feel I'd always had an entrepreneurial side to me. I wouldn't have got into the private security sector. Um, I maybe I would have got into something. I just would have taken a different road and it wouldn't have been obviously the private security sector, which probably wouldn't have got into me doing expedition, expeditions and adventures either, really. Welcome back, listeners. This is your podcast for inspiring, informative content for all things outdoors and health-related, with interviews, reviews, and experiences that will motivate you and inform you about all things outside. I'm your host, Kieran Clark. This is the Life of Movements.